July 4th, 2022. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin on Dafsadi Aleph, Amud Aleph. If you count from the bottom of the page, it's four lines up. It's the last word on the line. It says the Gemara, Amar le Antoninus Lirbi. Antoninus is uh, the name of a Roman Caesar who had many conversations as per the Hachamim with Rabbi, with Rabbi Udahanasi. So among those, the Gemara will mention several. Now here was the first. Guf v'neshama yecholin liftor asman min haddin. He imagines a circumstance wherein there's a judgment upon the person and he's separating the soul from the body. And his claim is each, both the soul and the body, could be able to deflect blame, so to speak, from one onto the other. More than anything, what will emerge from this story, at least in my mind, is a vision with regards to ourselves throughout life. How do we justify, or should we be justifying what we do and how we wrongfully act? Anyway, so the vision in turn, and the question is, at what juncture are we dealing with a judgment on the body and the soul? But regardless, that's the claim. The claim is the body and the soul could and should be able to, if you turn to two people, for example, and you say, this is your fault, the two of you, each one of them can point to the other and say, no, it wasn't my fault, it was his fault. It wasn't my fault, it was his fault. Says Antoninus, you know, the goof and the neshama. What's that? That's the claim of Antoninus, that each person, so to speak, the two sides of them, the physical and the spiritual, could be able to push it onto the other. Keep in mind, the physical and the spiritual, at least in our context, in the most basic sense, well, the physical is that drive, right? the irrational drive. I'm just, I, I just did something and it didn't impact who I was. Uh, the spiritual drive is, you know, it's, it's part and parcel of who I am. It's genetically um, programmed within me. Each one of those, and we know people who either uh, become uh, addicted to something wrong or become involved in something wrong. It was, I've, either they claim it was just a few times and as a result didn't impact who I was and so to speak blaming it on the goof or alternatively it says it's deep-seated in who I am. I can't overcome it. That's the nishama side. That's what we're going to see kind of claimed at least over here in my mind. The, the claim is we could and should be able to resolve matters by blaming it on the other. Kesad, how so? Goof omer nishama hatat. The goof could or would be able to claim it was the neshama's fault all along. It was my spiritual, my deep-seated conscious side which was pushing me throughout my life to sin and to do wrong and to drive off of the straight path. You want the proof? The moment that I was separated from that Nishama, that spiritual, call it uh, intellectual side of my uh, being and essence. Well, I haven't done anything wrong. I've been like a stone, like a rock buried in this grave. In other words, this is a vision, so to speak, of after death judgment. So the goof says, you see, all throughout it was the Nishama's fault. And the Nishama, when turned to it, so to speak, says Antoninus, could and should claim goof hata. It was the fault of the goof. It was the body side. It was those actions, those drives. From the day that I've been separated from him after death. I've been floating around in the air like a bird. In other words, I've been carefree. There's been nothing burdening me and uh, bringing me down. That was the body's fault all along. Was, again, if we could, if we were to be able to for a moment separate between our goof and our neshama, 
we would be able to blame all of our wrongdoing on one or the other. Instead of, of course, the response of Rabbi, as we'll see graphically in just a moment, realizing we're all in this together. We're one wholesome being, wholesome WH, and all this. We're whole, we're this whole being. You can't separate between your drives and what you do and what you do and what your deep seated intentions are. Amar le says Rabbi to Antoninus, you know something? I'll give you a parable for this matter, and you'll understand how silly, how ridiculous what you're claiming really is. It says it's like a, a king who has a, uh, a vineyard of sorts or a, an orchard, and in that orchard he has a firstborn te'enim, firstborn figs. Uh, which are the ripest, apparently, and the most delicious ones, Naot, they're good-looking. And as a result, the king says, I need two guards for this, uh, for this orchard. I guess he couldn't find anything better. One of them is crippled, he's not able to move, he has low-level mobility, and the other one is blind, he can't see anything. So those are the two guards for this orchard of fine fruits, fine uh, uh, what's called figs. Amar lo higer la sume, the higer, the crippled one, turns to the blind one and says, These guards, bechorot or bikorot naot ani roeba pardes. says, You know what I see? And of course, the eyes over here are likened to the neshama, the ability to be drawn, the ability to see and to be uh, lustful. says, You know what I see? I see these delicious looking figs. Bo veharkiveni veneviem. Le'ochlam. It says the, the, the one who's able to see, the crippled one, turns to the one who's not able to see, uh, but is blind, says, let me go on your shoulder, I'll direct you where to go, and we'll eat these together. Rachav higer al gabesume, the seeing one, the neshama, who has no ability to move independently, uh, rides on top of the shoulders of the blind one, that's the body, who's able to do, but not able to see, um ve'achalum, and they take, they pick the figs off the tree and they eat them. Le'yamim ba'al ha'pardes. Several days later, the king, the owner of the orchard, arrives, amar lahen, he turns to his uh, guards and says, bikorot na'ot hechanhen, where are my delicious, good-looking um, uh, fruits, the, the figs that were on the trees, amarlo higer, instead of, uh, instead of denying their wrongdoing, but they blame the other. The higer, the crippled one, says, kelum yeshli raglaim lehalech bahen, says, I know how this happened, you can't be looking at me, because after all, I don't have legs with which I could go and climb and reach those uh, fruits. Amarlo sume, uh, the blind one defends himself, kelum yeshli enaim lirot, I'm not able to see. You can't be uh, assuming it was me. Me'asa, the king understanding exactly what took place, he recreates the scene. Me'asa, hirkiv higer al gabe sume. He takes the, uh, the, the, the higer, the crippled one, puts him on top of the seeing one who has the mobility, excuse me, the blind one who has the mobility. Vedan otam ke had, and as a result, they're judged as a singular entity. Afa Kadosh Baruch so too explains Rebita Antoninus, mevi neshama vezorka baguf vedan otam ke'ehad, so too HaKadosh Baruch at some juncture in time 
is this Techiyat HaMetim? Is it before? It's not fully clear exactly at what juncture in uh, the time period of existence this is referring to, but it says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, his judgment, his ultimate judgment, quote-unquote, to humanity, will not be on uh, the conscious of the human beings, will not only be on the actions of the human being, it will be in both, as one. In, in, du- in a dual feature, God's going to judge both. He can't just judge one, because you'll deflect to the other. Shene'emar, as the Pasuk seems to refer to in Tehillim, God will uh, call to the heavens from above. Of course, that's the neshama. It's the spiritual, intellectual side of human beings. And to the ground, ladin amo, to give judgment to his nation. Of course, we're reading it not as judgment, but rather as imo, as together, right? The word Amo means the nation. We're probably being Doresh this as Imo. Again, Yikra el Shamay Me'al El Aris Ladin Amo, the Dirasha goes as follows Yikra el Hashamay Me'al Zoneshama. God will summon forth the neshama, the spiritual, intellectual side, the, the conscious side of the, of, the, of the human being. Ve'el ha'aretz, and the guf, ladin amo, guf, that's the body. Again, the, the vision and the description, at least in my mind, of tehiyat ha'metim, of this after regular life existence, is one which is a little bit counterintuitive. People imagine after death, it's going to be a separation between body and soul. The vision of the hachamim time and again and again and again is no such thing. If we're to look at a human being for what he is, it's to understand and to appreciate that each of us are endowed or imbued with the ability to utilize our body appropriately. That's not an impediment, it's an opportunity, it's a responsibility. So the judgment can't just be on one domain, on one part of who you are, envisioning you in this binary way that you're half and half and I'll just judge one. You have responsibility here, you have opportunity that I've given you, each of you says God, through this duality of body and spirit. And as a result, judgment will be through the two. And as a result, furthermore, to envision the greatest of times, existence and success of the world, history and future, is to envision it as a time during which there's some sort of reciprocity, some sort of duality in which both heaven and earth are connected. In the eyes of the Hakamim, that's what happened at Matan Torah. Matan Torah was a time, the Midrash, the Gemara Masechet Shabbat envisions it as, so to speak, the heavens were collapsed into the earth. Maybe that's not the way it should have been. Maybe we should have ascended into the heavens. Maybe we all should have gone up to the heavens in order to receive the Torah. Instead, it's a vision of God coming down, so to speak, to us, collapsing heavens and earth to envision the greatest capacity that human beings, that world existence can reach. It's to understand it's not when we escape the challenges of physicality. It's when we transcend, when we transform them. It's, 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 it's a motif of mine, but we forget it. We imagine when I'm involved in X, in this world, there's only evil, so let me minimize in it. If I really want to do this right, I'll escape this world and I'll just go study and pray and find matters in this uh, sterile environment of spirituality. Instead, the Gemara again and again and again, and the Hachamim stress this, 
There's no such thing. It's about being able to, it's a challenge, it's about being able to overcome that obstacle, but to use it to the capacity that we could, specifically with Aretz and Shamaim together. The Gemara continues, there were more conversations between this Roman Caesar Antoninus and Rabbi. Amar le Antoninus le Rabbi, this is not a science question. This is not a physical question. It's more a philosophical question, looking at nature and trying to derive from it some sort of message and uh, lesson. So he says, why is it that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west? And if it was the opposite, if it rose in the west and set in the east, wouldn't you be asking the same question? In other words, your question is based upon the fact that uh, you don't have another alternative because everything else would have been a possibility. This is often in, in the, uh, in, in the uh, Talmud world, but also in the intellectual world in general. There's always a question of placement. People sometimes ask Halambam, perfectly structured, at least in our tradition, his Mishneh Torah. Why are Hilchot Avil, the laws of mourning, in Sefer Shofetim, in the Book of Judges? So the, the, the quick response is, where else should it have been? In other words, instead of making a full Devar Torah, an explanation how it has to do with Shofetim in some way, shape, or fashion, just understand there wasn't necessarily another place. Where are the laws of Avelut within those 14 books of Harambam? These sorts of questions and answers come up from time to time when someone wants to construct an entire edifice through why is the placement here? How could it? How should it have been otherwise? That's the response of it to be. Does it be? I don't understand the question. I mean, okay, so if it was the opposite way, you would have been more happy. Amarle says Antoninus, no, you misunderstood my question. This is what I meant to say to you. I had no problem that it rises in one. Okay, it rises in the east, it rises in the west. I didn't care which one. Why doesn't it rise and set in the same place? That's my question. In other words, wouldn't it have made sense for God to bring forth some sort of cyclical nature within existence? Doesn't it make sense that we generally see a cycle? It's a full day from beginning until end. And as a result, the way it began is the way it ends. The day is going to end. You begin the game. You begin, if you do it successfully, at home plate, and you end it at home plate. You don't begin at home plate and end at third base if you did it right. It should have ended in the same place. Amar le kedeliten shalom lekona sheneemar usfa shemaim lecha mishdahavim. He says maybe the reason is in order to give honor to God. What's in order to give honor to God? Well, he cites a pasuk in which the legions of the heavens, meaning the sun and the moon and the stars, they're all bowing to God. What does that have to do with the setting in the West? In the eyes of the Hachamim, the Gemara Masechet Bava Batran Daf Kafher, she cites it, uh, the Shekhinah, although the Shekhinah, the indwelling of God, is ever present, although there's no physicality to it, we collectively and historically envision it as being in the West. As a result, the vision, says Rabbi, of seeing the sun setting in the West is, so to speak, the bowing to God 
in the place of his greatest manifestation, meaning in the West. So again, piecing it all together, the question is, why does it set in the West? Why does it rise in the East? It's so to speak, you approached the king and then you bowed to the king when you got closest to the king. You began far, as you get closer and closer and closer, you see the king and you bow to him. You look at the sun and it's rising and you say, it's distant, our day is yet to be fulfilled. We have a lot ahead of us. When you finish the day, when the sun is setting, you're bowing off to God at those final moments when you're closest to God, perhaps. Amarle says, uh, says Antoninus back to Rabbi, beautiful imagery. I like the Musar from looking at the sun and feeling God. Why doesn't the sun instead, according to this Musar you've taught me, and again, don't go too far in any of this because this is not a scientific debate. This is just a, a, a debate with regards to what we can derive, what we can understand. This is potentially, it is Rabbi himself in Masechet Pesachim, in which he seems to be teasing out that issue and dealing with Hakmei Umot HaOlam with regards to how the planets are working. They're coming closer to an understanding of it, but you're right, I still don't understand it in a literal sense. Even if I'm envisioning the world as being flat, I still well, don't see it. What I'm saying is, and, and <laughs> we can talk from the way it is. You still could theoretically say that God could have restructured it, that there's a full orbit and kind of something along those lines. So even with an understanding of it today, you could ask the question, and, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm highlighting it further, by supplementing it further by saying, they don't actually mean this. They're asking it in terms of Musa, in terms of what you can derive. That is the question. This one, this final question, you are correct. Scientifically, you can't even imagine. Why didn't the sun make its way to the middle of the sky and at that point just wave goodbye and, and leave us daily? Or why would it do it in such a fashion, so to speak, as it has a certain distance from God? You don't need to come all the way up to the king. You can, as we do on Shabbat morning, you can give a hazaku baruch from your seat. You can bow from your seat. You can give a distance and give the honor to the individual. So why didn't the sun do it in such a way? Did it really need to, quote unquote, go to the west in order to bow to God? Go to the middle of the, the split, the middle of the heavens. Shalma, say hello, uh, give, the, give the peace sign to God, and from there, rise upward, answers Rebita Antoninus, if the sun were to do so, quote unquote again, well then it would mess up the Po'alim, the people who work, and the Uvre Derachim, and the people who travel. What does that mean? Well, they're looking for clues as to how their day is going based on how the sun is moving. As the sun moves further and further away from where it began, they realize the day is coming to a close, to an end. They realize they have to wrap up their work. They need to find a lodging as they're on their journey. As a result, if it were to just be residing in the middle of the heavens, quote unquote, and then just dissipate and then just disappear, it would mess everyone up. We were just in the middle of the day. And then all of a sudden, the sun was gone. It was, it is, so to speak, a convenient way. Again, it's envisioning both a functionality of the sun while at the same time saying, let's look at the sun and derive some sort of lesson from it. That's the story of Rabbi and Antoninus. Antoninus But Antoninus is not done. He's got two more questions for Rabbi. Neshama me'ematai nitena ba'adam. When is it that the soul, the essence of the human being, is placed into the, call it, physical side of the human being, or uh, just when is it crafted, better yet? Mishat pekida or mishat yesira? Is it from the moment of pekida? 
lifkod means either to, to count or to, to think about, uh, to realize. And Rashi cites from the Midrash, from the Hachamim, that uh, there's moments during which, uh, so to speak, the soul is brought in front of God and God appoints that soul. So it's a vision, so, so to speak, the first thought of existence. That's pikida, uh, prior to any actual uh, physical existence. Is that when the soul is crafted? Is that when there's an essence that's ingrained within who you will be, who you are? Or alternatively, is it misha'at yesira? Is it when there's a physical side that begins to, uh, to, to formulate and to come about. When is it that we become living beings even if we're not in this world? Is it from that moment of initial thought, quote unquote, of God? Or is it alternatively when we're coupled with a physical side? Rabbi's response, and it's never explained to us why he thinks so, he says, no, you only get your soul once there's something to couple it with. You're not going to have a soul independent of a body. It's when there's a body that's coming forth. The question in turn is, uh, if it only take, if, if the, um, the soul only comes about from the time that the body kind of comes to form, well, it takes some time for the body to come to form. Conception takes some time. There is something prior to conception. And as a result, are you telling me there's something taking place devoid, separated from a soul? Look at meat. Meat after its soul, quote unquote, is taken from it, it rots. Are you telling me in the beginning of the construction of human beings, there's the beginning of something without its soul source? Can't be ela mishaat pekida. Rather, our essence begins even prior to our bodily existence. But it's, in, but it's, in it's, it's in the mother's body. Maybe it's housing. It's from the mother's soul. You're suggesting? I don't. Neither do they. Neither do they. Yeah. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the mother's soul that's sustaining. The baby. The baby. Yeah. That's that's how you envision the beginning of of I existence. Don't which way. I'm just yeah. All right. I, I, get, I guess that was beyond. What's that? Pakat pekida in that context is so to speak is the thought of existence. Of course. Hadashim uh, You know we have we have that lashon. I, I don't know. What so it's just one soul can't sustain another soul. That's like I guess the vision. Yeah. Okay, Rabbi, and he wins. Not only that, Antoninus wins, quote unquote. Amar Rabbi, Rabbi says, I got you, got me. The Davarze Limedani Antoninus, you taught me Antoninus, the Roman Caesar. Umikra Mesayeon, you actually have a pasuk which seems to support you now that I think of it like you. Because after all, the pasuk says, Ufkuta Techa. Shamera ruhi, my ruach, my my essence, my spiritual side, is from the time of pekuda, from the time of just that thought, that that uh, glimmer of, uh, of 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 thought of 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 existence. From them, there's neshama. See, already there is an interesting reference with regards to who we are. Right, we we have this difficulty understanding who we are as separating soul from body. And I've, I've stressed and I will stress that it's the soul and body together, but alternatively, the vision over here is we can and should be able to conceive of an existence in which they're separate to the extent that soul precedes body in the eyes of the hachamim. Antoninus Last story between Antoninus and Rabbi, which will somehow complement this past one. 
One is it that an evil inclination begins to take hold, to grasp human beings. Misha'at yesira, is it from the time that our bodies come about, but we're still in embryo? Or misha'at yesira, is it only when we come out into this world? Amar le misha'at yesira, would be for some reason response, it's from the time of conception. Amar le, says Antoninus to Rabbi, imken, bo'et b'me'imo v'yosef. That were the case, oh, we wouldn't have any sustainability of pregnancy. Babies would be fighting to get out. Babies would be looking for an independence. Babies would kick their way out of the mother's womb, and you'd never be able to have a full-term pregnancy. Why so? Yes, Hara would drive them outward. Rabbi says, indeed, I learned something from you, Antoninus, and I have a pasuk that supports you. Hatat Rovets, it's a pasuk written by Adam Arishon, right? Adam Peta Hatat Rovets by Cain. Uh, the pasuk describes a petah. Petah is an opening of sorts. We're envisioning it as the opening of the womb, the opening of the mother, the baby into this world. Hatat Rovets, that's where the het, that's where the drive for wrongdoing is squatting. Uh, what's the ultimate, uh, the ultimate, what's that? When they're babies, when they come out? But I, I, I will tell you this much, A.B. In my mind, the vision, the description of this Rabbi and Antoninus final story is very sharp and very clear to me. It's a vision of understanding nurture and nature, right? Understanding that dichotomy, but understanding in turn how much of who we are is, much of who we are, is formed and fashioned by our existence in this world. Not to say that it can't be overcome and there aren't anomalies and outliers and so forth. But the initial response, quote unquote, of Ribi is that Yetzir Hara is internal before even being exposed to this world. That's a vision of who you're going to be is, quote unquote, quote, predetermined. You're already having that drive to evil and to negative and to whatever drives and lusts you're going to have. Uh, alternatively, once we have our punchline that it's once you emanate into this world, it means it's exposure to environment, to society, to the world that you will inhabit. That's what, so to speak, powers you and propels you into these zones and domains. That's, that's at the very least what I said. It means that the, the final line with regards to Rabbi's vision, and the rabbis seem to be endorsing this, is number one, the initial Shama is existent from Pekida, from that moment of thought. Yesir Hara is only implanted afterwards. Of course, that gives that time in between. Without Yesir Hara, of course, that gives the Gemara Masechinida and Daflamid, the Midrash we all know and we're taught so many times of the baby internally learning the entirety of the Torah and remembering and retaining all of the Torah. When's that taking place, quote-unquote, temporally in the uh, structure and the coming to being of a human being? At the time prior to Yeser Hara. It means, and this makes a lot of sense, it means that the ability, quote-unquote, to rise to to your highest in terms of uh, no applicability, no involvement with this world is before you touch this world, before there is a Yeser Hara. Once you come out, well, then it's the challenge. Then it's the ability that you're empowered with, but you have to overcome. Are you going to be able to remember Torah, you're able to, to apply it, but there's that in-between zone. What's the purpose of that in-between zone? I've more than once suggested, and I believe this very much so, that that in-between zone is for us that ideal zone that we strive for. We strive for a time and being within this world where we could tap into truth. 
It's not realistic. We are in a world of yeser hara. We're not in a womb, and as a result, we have to battle and deal with the realities of existence. But it's the ability to tap back into the origins and to say, but there is that ideal vision which I strive for. Says the Gemara, resh lakish rameh. Rameh means to place in Aramaic, and in this context, it means to place one text on top of the other, it's an asking of contradictions. Whenever the Gemara has that word Rameh, they're asking contradictions. He asks contradiction between two Pesukim. On the one hand, Ketiv, the Pasuk, where is this? In Sefer Yirmiyah, describes, now in regular context, in the, the Peshat context, it's describing Yemot Mashiach. He's going to interpret this as Tehiyat HaMetim, for one reason or another. The Pasuk describes how God will bring forth Bam, the Pasuk describes how God is going to, inga- going to gather and to bring forth to Eris Yisrael everyone, including the Iver and the Piseach, the crippled one, and the, ability, the people with the disabilities, they're all going to be there. Uchtiv, and then the Pasuk says as well in Sefer Yirmiyah, shortly thereafter, just four chapters later, Az Yidaleg Ke'ayal, the Pasuk describes that we're going to be skipping like an ayal. What's an ayal? It's a type of animal. Piseach, a person who's crippled, will be uh, skipping like an ayal. Gazelle. Gazelle. There you And furthermore, the mute ones will be singing songs. It means all the disabilities will be healed. Well, which one is it? Is it a description of being brought forth as you were, as you are, with all your disabilities and, 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 and inabilities? Or alternatively, are you going to be skipping like a gazelle and singing like, I don't know, the greatest singer, even though you weren't able to get a word out or a sound out in regular life? And how is it possible? Omdin bimuman. Umitrapein Resh Lakish suggests that Metim will begin in a natural way. In other words, with that mum, and only then will there come will, will there come a refuah. I think there's a lot to be said for that. Again, the vision and the description again and again of the hachamim of this tehiyat ametim time is negating an absolutely supernatural. It's envisioning it as supernatural as it is, as the resurrection of a physical. But there's a physical. It's not a distilled spiritual. It's not a domain which could or should be envisioned as absolutely separate from this world. It's a time during which we're looking for a full reparation for a shelemuta beria, for a world in which we haven't been doing this right. Let's get this right. But as a result, it needs to begin with uh, the disabilities, the inabilities. Then with, Uma, uh, uh, it, then with the help of God, then with the help of an enhanced wisdom, then in a world in which we're able and capable without the distractions and impediments of regular life, okay, then we'll move it forward. But the vision again needs to be in the eyes of the Hachamim as one which begins with all those disabilities. Then you'll have the refuah. Ula rameh, says the Gemara further, Ula asked the contradiction, Ketiv. On the one hand, the Pasuk says, Bila hamavet lanesach, umaha adonai, Bila means to swallow. Mavit, of course, is death. Death will be eternally expelled and tears will be uh, perpetually wiped away. There's no more sadness, no more mourning, no more death. Uchtiv, 
But the Pasuk alternatively describes this future time in Yeshaya, Ki Hana'ar ben Me'ashana Yamut. Uh, at a hundred years old, you'll say he was a young lad who died. It's still going to be death. He might be considered a young lad at a hundred years old. It means he's going to be living long lives, but it's not an eternal life. So which one is it? And to the Pasuk concludes itself, you're not going to have these people dying at young ages any longer, but there will be death. So which one is it? Is it Bilahamavit Lanesah Umaha? There's going to be a wiping away of all tears, or is it just going to be an extended life? La Kashya, a very glaring and difficult response. Can be Israel, can be of de Kochavim. You have to distinguish between Israel and non-Jews. What? Which one? Oh, that's right. The vision is. I mean, it's amazing this one was never censored out. The vision is that Yisrael will have the eternal life, and the Avdei Kochav, yeah, in the future, they'll, they'll be brought back in some capacity. They'll have long lives, but not eternal ones. Says the Gemara, Ve'avdei Kochavim, Ma'ibauhatam. Better yet, uh, than, than just saying, you know, uh, that we're putting down the Avdei What are they doing there? What do you mean, what are they doing there? We began the panic with Kol Yisrael Yishleim Chilak La'olam Haba. We can't understand, we can't fathom the purpose of non-Jews at that time. Answers the Gemara, Hanach Tichtiv Behu Ve'amidu Zarim Ve'ra'uso Nechem U'b'nei Nechar Ikrechem Ve'kormechem. It says that the Pasuk describes how the non-Jews are going to help in toiling your fields in shepherding your animals. That's who we're referring to. The righteous ones will come and service you. That's the vision. That's who we're referring to with regards to Avdei Kochavim. This Gemara is one of several Gemarot. It's reminiscent of a Gemara in Masech Berachot and Daf The Gemara in Masech Berachot and Daf which the Gemara describes as very hard to achieve, if not impossible, is the Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai Gemara. It's a machloket over there, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, but Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai's claim is that although the Pasuk says, you'll collect your crops, as it's not the way it really supposed to work. If you're doing with Yisrael is Osim Resono Shel Makom, you want to know how this is going to be fulfilled? By Aherim, others will be gathering your crops. It's only when you're sinning and doing wrong that others will not. It takes looking no further than Harambam. Harambam Nesaktamat Perusha Mishnayot asks, why are there people who are born with not high-level intellect? Says Harambam, to service those who have high-level intellect to act as the court jesters, to make us happy, to make us have a good time and not have to pay, pay attention to all that nonsense that's around us. It's a very elitist vision with regards to those who are tapping into truth, have the service from all the others. It's, it's the Gemara Masechet Shabbat and Daflamid Gimal with regards to Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai when he emerges from that cave and he looks at the people in this world, Yisrael, who are doing work and he turns to his son and says, oh my goodness, they're wasting their time I'm on that, not like me and you. We don't need to be wasting our time. Rashi over there points out because Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai would say others should be doing your work if you're tapped into truth. It's an elitist, highest tier vision, but again, we're seeing it re-emerging in our Gemara in a future vision. Maybe not in this world. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai sought to and did live it in this world. He envisioned it as an ideal in this world. Our Gemara describes it as a future vision. In the future, in this Tehiyat HaMetim domain, eternal life. For who? For those who are tapping into truth. The others, yeah, they'll be there. They'll be able to help you out. They'll even live long lives, but not eternal ones. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen. Amen.